Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on Communion Sunday, June 2nd, 2013. The message for this morning is Transformed by the Mission, the Reformation of a Spoiled Brat by Pastor Isaac Whiting, based on Genesis 37, verses 3 through 8, and Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 8. Let's pray together one more time as we go to God's Word. Father God, we're here today to worship you because we've seen something of you and we want more and we want to be transformed into people who are full of your kind of love. And we ask today that you would help us to apply ourselves, you would help us to hear you, and you would change us by your word. Amen. Well, Pastor Ryan began a sermon series last week entitled Transformed by the Mission. Today's sermon is entitled, The Reformation of a Spoiled Brat. How many of you have noticed that we have a bit of an epidemic of spoiled brats in North America? Just go ahead and raise your hand if you've noticed that. Now, this is not true of everyone, certainly, and some groups, you know, Filipinos don't seem to have much problem with this. But in general, there are spoiled brats everywhere you look. See them at the mall. We see them at school. We see them all over the place. I'm sure many of you could give some great spoiled brat stories if I asked you to and you were brave enough. But I'll share just one that stands out to my mind. This was a a little boy who was in Carter's school when Carter was uh, from kindergarten to grade three. I have to be careful now telling stories about Carter because my oldest son, Carter, he's here now in service. So this little boy, and we'll call him Davey, he was his mother's pride and joy. She was always just so full of love for this little boy. Sometimes spoiled brats are made by accident through laziness, and sometimes they're made through a misapplication of love, aren't they? This little boy, she had decided, was so great that she needed to affirm everything he did, even when he did things that were not good. And the end result was astonishing to behold. This little boy would be playing nicely one minute, and then the next minute he would just scream in anger at people, especially his mother. I never saw him in I never saw him with his dad, so I don't know how they related. But with his mother, it was amazing. She would say, "It's time to leave the pl- the playground," and he would scream. I hate you, throw sand at her, 
and go into a complete uh, temper tantrum just instantly. And, of course, her response to this would be to say, oh, you're such a good boy, Davy." And eventually she would have to hug him to get him off the playground. She would take him off the playground in a hug. <laughs> it's amazing. Spoiled brats are an example of something that's created good, but then spoiled, ruined through human actions. Ruined through human actions. That brings me to another point and a question I'd like to ask you today as we move into this sermon. I'd like to ask you, why is it that I would want to actually do the things that Jesus teaches me to do? Why would I want to do what Jesus says I should do? I know that if I believe in Jesus, right, John 3.16, if I believe in Jesus with my heart and I trust him as my Savior, then I'm going to go to heaven, right? So why would I ever want to do any of the hard things that Jesus tells me? You know, things like loving my enemy. Why would I want to do that? That's certainly not fun, is it? Things like you know, being very generous and giving away my money. Why would I want to do that? Is it so that God won't kick me out of heaven? But he won't kick me out of heaven. No matter what I do, right? I'm always saved if I believe in him. So why should I do what Jesus tells me to do? Is it so that I could get a better reward someday after I die? That would be a pretty weak motivation for most of us, I think. Maybe if we're toward the end of our life, it would become stronger. But can I really be motivated to do something today by this vague thought that someday when I die... I'll get a reward that I'm not even really sure what it is. Is that going to motivate me today to love my wife as Christ loved the church? I don't think that it will. Or should I do the things that Jesus teaches me to do so that maybe some people outside the church will see my life and maybe recognize that it's because of Jesus that I'm acting this way, and maybe be more interested in him, and then maybe someday come to faith in Jesus, and then they would be saved. Is that why I should do all the really difficult things that Jesus tells me to do? The answer is no. These things are true that I'll get a better reward someday in heaven, that some people might come to Christ if they see good things in my life. Those things are true, but those are not why I should want to do what Jesus teaches me to do. I should want to do 
what Jesus teaches. Because he promises that if I obey his teaching, he will turn me into something else. He promises that if I obey his teaching, he will transform me in my inner being into something, into a kind of person that is worth more than I could ever imagine. A person that's bursting full of love. A person that's never afraid. A person that is content no matter what circumstance happens. Something terrible could happen in their life and they're just as happy and full of joy as if everything were going right. Someone who actually knows God. That's the promise that Jesus gives us. And that's why we should want to do what he teaches. We'll get into the story of Joseph in a minute. But take a look again at Ephesians chapter 6. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 to 8, might seem like a strange thing to bring up today. It's addressed to slaves, people who literally were slaves. They had a master. If they ran away, they could be arrested, beaten. Their master had complete authority over them. They were property. And Paul says to these slaves who are Christians, Slaves, you must obey your earthly masters. Show them great respect and be loyal to them, as loyal to them as you are to Christ. Try to please them at all times, not just when you think they're watching. You are slaves of Christ, and so with your whole heart, you need to do what God wants you to do. Gladly serve your masters as though you were serving the Lord himself and not people. I ask you again, Use your mind and try to, try to let this question hit you. Why would you want to do that? That is extremely difficult, isn't it? If you were a slave, to serve your master as if he were Christ, who could even do this? How could this be accomplished? If we think about it and realize what it's saying, it's an incredible command for Paul to give and exactly like the kinds of things that Jesus taught all the time. Are these slaves going to be kicked out of heaven if they don't obey their masters? No, they're not. So why in the world would they want to do this thing that's so hard? Why not try to run away from your master? Why not do the least possible because your master you know, beats you regularly? Because, Paul says, you know that you will be rewarded for any good things that you do, whether you're slaves or free. Rewarded by God. And in what way? Someday after you're dead in a way that we don't really understand yet in heaven? No. 
Paul is saying to these slaves that God will reward them right now in their life by transforming their inner being through the power of his Holy Spirit. Think about some of the other things Jesus taught. Matthew chapter 11, famous verses. Jesus says, only I know the Father. Only I really know the Father. And the only person who really knows me is the Father. And I'm going to choose to reveal the Father to some people. I'm going to show them who he is. Who am I going to show? Whoever will take my yoke upon them. Whoever will join me in my mission and do the work that I'm doing. That's who I'm going to show the Father to. And for those people, their work will become like rest. They will learn from me how I work, Jesus says. And their work will become like rest and peace and joy. They will be rewarded right now. Move into the story of Joseph. An example of what we're talking about here. An example of someone who is transformed by joining God's work, by joining the mission of God, by changing the way he thinks about God and about life. I assume many of you are familiar with the story of Joseph. Raise your hand if you would say you are very familiar with the story of Joseph. Great. Joseph, the son of Jacob, the man who Israel is named after, whose name became Israel. Joseph was raised in a dysfunctional family. As you know, if you know the story, Jacob, his father, had married uh, four different women, well, two and then two who were kind of like his wives. And he had a whole bunch of children, 12 boys. And Joseph was born when Jacob was an old man. And so Joseph became Jacob's favorite, the one who was so cute and who could never do anything wrong. And when we read the account of it in Genesis chapter 37, it's kind of amazing how blatant Jacob is about uh, loving Joseph more than all his other children. What a dysfunctional household that must have been in this way, even though Jacob was a man of God in so many other ways. It says, Jacob loved Joseph more than he did any of his other sons. What would that do to the rest of the boys in that house? Because Joseph was born to him after Jacob was very old, Jacob gave Joseph a fancy coat to show that he was his favorite son. Not only did he love him, more than he loved any of the other 11 boys, but he gave him a coat to show that he loved him more. There was a visible sign to these other children every day that 
dad loves Joseph the most. He is the favorite son. You can imagine Joseph growing up and becoming what he must have been at this point in his life, an absolutely spoiled brat. He was doted on. He could never do anything wrong as a little boy. And then as a teenager, he says to dad, I'm sick of wearing these you know, robes that we always have to wear. Can't you get me like a nice brand new jacket? And dad says, that's a great idea. I will because I love you more than I love everybody else, Joseph. And so he goes to the mall and he gets him this brand new amazing jacket. And you can see Joseph grabs his jacket and he pops the tag off of it and puts it on, looks at himself in the pond because there's no mirrors. And he says, wow, I am looking awesome. And then he just walks around showing his brothers how great he looks while they're wearing these you know, thread, threadbare hand-me-downs. We can see what kind of a person he becomes. Even his dreams are affected by this. Although this dream turns out to be prophetic, I think that this dream is also sourced in Joseph's own ego, his own uh, sense that he's better than his brothers. He has a dream, and in the dream, uh, two dreams in fact, his brothers are all bowing down to him and worshiping him. Now if you had a dream like that, would you go and share it? with the people who were worshiping you in the dream? He wanders over to his brothers and says, Hey guys, I had this awesome dream. Let me tell you about it. In this dream, I was standing in the middle of all of you in a circle, and you were all worshiping me. Isn't that awesome? Oh, man. You, you, really, you really can feel for Joseph's brothers the fact that they wanted to kill him. I mean, literally, they wanted to kill him. It doesn't make it okay, but you can feel for them. Nobody wants to be around Joseph. Then, of course, some things happen in Joseph's life. And Joseph is, his brothers kind of make a plan to kill him. And one of his brothers saves his life by saying, well, let's not kill him. Let's sell him as a slave and uh, then we can at least get some money out of it. And so they pretend to kill him, so dad thinks he's dead. They sell him as a slave, and he's uh, taken down to Egypt to be sold in the slave markets in Egypt. And we don't know how long this period in Joseph's life lasts, maybe a few months, maybe a few years. Eventually, he's sold to a very rich Egyptian named Potiphar who's um, connected to the royal court, and he becomes a slave in Potiphar's household. In this process, something begins to happen to Joseph. And it doesn't just happen because he suffers. Joseph begins to be transformed in his thinking and in his heart. And it does happen through his suffering, but it's not only because he suffers. Many people suffer many things in the world, and some of them become worse people for it, and some of them become better people. Joseph begins to make a change in his thinking. 
somehow when he loses everything, he begins to think more about God. And that is a conscious choice in Joseph's life. He begins to think more about the God he heard about from his father. And somehow, he begins to believe that that God is actually in charge of the whole world. That everything that happens is under the control, under the authority of this God called the Lord. Joseph begins to believe this. It probably was a long process for him. But we can see, even while he's in Potiphar's household, this change begins to take over his mind. We sing this, these songs. We sang it today. The Lord reigns. What difference would it make if we really believed that the Lord reigns? That he's in control of absolutely everything. I'm not saying you don't believe it. I'm not saying we don't believe it. But what difference would it make if we believed it all the time in every situation? Probably the changes that happened in Joseph's life were very small at first. He didn't start doing something different right away. He didn't change what he was doing. He just changed his mind. Instead of telling himself the story that, oh, poor me, poor Joseph, I've been sold into slavery and my life is terrible, the world owes me something. Instead of that, Joseph began to tell himself a true story. I don't know why I'm here in this house as a slave, but I know that God is in control of everything. And that means that God has put me here on purpose he sent me here for some kind of reason. I don't know what it is. And as Joseph begins to tell himself this true story, God begins to act in his life and transform his heart. He begins to experience the love of God. And it's a cycle. As he experiences the love of God in his heart, then he just wants to think about God more, to do whatever God is up to. He wants to be part of it. Initially, it transforms his actions in tiny things, no doubt. We don't know what his job was at first, but it probably was something very menial. Maybe Joseph was supposed to clean all the toilets in Potiphar's house. And Joseph, constantly thinking about God, thinks, if God is really in control of the world, how should I clean this toilet? That might sound kind of silly, but this is the attitude he begins to approach his work with. And then he cleans the toilet in a phenomenal way. Really, with the power of God, he cleans the toilet. And somebody notices and says, wow, that toilet is fantastically clean. Maybe we should give this guy something else to do. Will you go cook dinner? Let's see if you can cook. Well, wash your hands first. And then he cooks dinner in the power of God, serving the Lord, not
not really caring about what happens, but just wanting to be with God and knowing that God has put him here for some reason and the dinner turns out fantastic and he works his way up the ranks like this, not intending to become, uh, to be promoted in the household, but promoted simply because they see the power of God working in him. He's promoted all the way up until he is in charge of the entire household. This would be like being a CEO or something today, right? This is a someone who's connected to the royal family of the pharaoh. His household is a gigantic business with thousands of slaves and fields, and Joseph is running the whole thing. And the reason he's running it is because the Potiphar, the owner, sees that the power of God is in Joseph's life. And he wants success. Then, of course, something happens to Joseph, and here we begin to see how his heart has really been transformed. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. You know the story. We're talking about a beautiful Egyptian woman, rich beyond anybody's wildest dreams, and all she wants him to do is you know, come and sleep with her. He's a young man, certainly in his 20s at this point. And not for a second does this even tempt Joseph in the slightest. Isn't that incredible? He doesn't have to fight the temptation to do this. His heart has been so transformed by joining God in his work that there is no desire to do anything that would be apart from God. That's going to separate me from the Lord. Why would I possibly want to do that? I mean, yes, there might be some physical aspect there that's nice, but that's nothing compared to the experience I have living daily with God himself. Why would I ever want to do something that would separate me from God, that would distract me from his incredible love? Why would I want to sin? He doesn't resist for a second. When she tries to force him, he runs away (laughs) at full speed. This is his natural reaction. It is not something he had to discipline himself to do. He has been transformed in his heart. We continue to see his transformation as his story progresses. He's, you know, what happens? He's thrown into prison. And he's in prison for a long time. And what happens when he's thrown in prison? Does he say, oh, this is terrible. What would you do if you were in this amazing position, rich and powerful, and then you were thrown into jail from the top to the bottom in the worldly sense in a single day? What would your emotions be like? Joseph's emotions seem to be, wow, that's kind of bad, but I wonder what God is doing now. He sent me to a different place. What am I supposed to do here? As long as I have God with me, what does the rest of it even matter anyway? I never looked for that stuff anyway. He's in prison, and the first thing that he does in prison is try to care for the other prisoners. He sees some prisoners who are distressed and crying and they're, they're depressed. And he says, what's wrong? 
How can I help you? Maybe God sent me to help these prisoners. Prisoners, of course, tell him about these dreams that they've had. They were officials of Pharaoh. They had these dreams. And they say, well, we don't have anyone to interpret these dreams. Joseph is completely confident that he can interpret the dreams, so he does. Praise to God. He knows that God will be there to help him. If God sent me to do this thing, then of course God will give me whatever I need to do it. Joseph interprets the dreams, and these one of these two prisoners is killed, according to the interpretation. The other one becomes, again, a high official and forgets all about Joseph, and Joseph remains in prison for two years. Two years during which he is not bitter. He still seems to be in love with God his Father because he's been transformed by joining God in God's work. We've been talking a lot about mission in our church. Pastor Ryan has been talking about it for a long time. He's been talking to me about it for six years. And at this point, I want to make a clarification of what we mean when we talk about joining God in his mission. We're not, by saying that, primarily talking about changing what you do. We're not talking about going on a mission trip. We're not talking about doing more outreach to the neighborhood. We're talking about what Joseph did. We're talking about changing the perspective of your life. God is in control of everything. God is constantly with me. Therefore, God has sent me wherever I am. Everything that happens to me comes through him. It's either given by him or something that he allowed to come into my life, and he has a purpose for it. And my job is to figure out whatever God is doing and go join him. Join him in his mission, because when I do... He will change my heart and fill me with things that are beyond anything I could have imagined before I knew God. That's what we mean when we say we need to join God in his mission. God is working in the world, and we want to be part of that because then we'll be with him and we'll be like him. Joseph continued to join God in his mission. Joseph sat in prison for two years, maybe with a smile on his face, maybe not, but at least with joy in his heart, knowing God was there with him. When he was finally taken out of prison, it was to interpret a dream to Pharaoh, and he did it again. And God kept working in his life because he was joining in God's work wherever he was. He eventually was made ruler over all of Egypt and prevented a famine, or prevented the effects of the famine, that would have killed thousands, maybe millions of people. We don't know how many. At the end of the story, we see the final results of this process of transformation that's taken place in Joseph's heart by God. 
And the results are fantastic. As we talk about this, wouldn't you want to be like Joseph? Joseph's brothers eventually come down to Egypt. They come to Egypt to get bread because there is no bread anywhere else. Only Joseph has bread. Only Joseph has grain. And he sees his brothers, his brothers who had made a plan to kill him and then had sold him into slavery. And the first thing he does is cry out of his love for them. Look at the transformation that has taken place. If that kind of love were actually in your heart, there would be no fear, no anxiety, no depression, no anger. There would be no room for it if the kind of love that can cry with joy at seeing the people who wanted to kill you were present in your heart, there would be no room for anything else. He messes with them for a little while. It's pretty funny, actually. Pretends that he doesn't know them, and he really makes them sweat. I think he kind of tests them to see if, have they really repented of this? Are they really sorry that they sold me as a slave? Because if they're still the kind of people who want to kill other people, then I'm not going to do anything bad to them, but I don't have a whole lot of interest in being close friends with them. But they have repented. They have uh, become sorry that they did this. And so eventually, when they bring down his, his one full biological brother, Benjamin, He reveals himself to them and they weep together. At first, they are terrified of him. Could you imagine the person that you tried to murder is now king of the world? You're you're in his house surrounded by soldiers? Uh Uh-huh. And he says, don't worry. And this is where it really gets good. We see the final results of his thinking. He says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Even though you thought you were in control when you sent me as a slave, when you sold me, God was really the one in control. You were confused. And God actually sent me here on purpose to save people. Joseph believed that God had sent him to Egypt. He believed that God was really in control of everything. Jesus says that God is so much in control of the world that not a single hair falls off your head apart from his will. If that's really true, what does that mean for everything that happens to you? Joseph decided to actually believe that every day, in every situation. And as he did, as he joined in what God was doing, God rewarded him. God came into his heart by the Spirit right then, right there, 
and changed him from the inside out into a kind of person that is amazing to consider, to think about. Don't you want to be like Joseph? I do. I want God to transform my heart so that I'm so full of love that there's no room for anything else. Then I would be perfectly safe. Even if someone insulted me, said terrible things about me, was mean to me, beat me up, threw me in jail, even if someone killed me, that would not affect me. I would still be perfectly safe if I were this kind of person. Joseph joined God's mission. It's not a matter of what we do. It's a matter of what we really believe, what we believe to the point that we're ready to base our life and our decisions every moment of every day on it. God is in control. Let's pray. Father God, again, I bring this request to you because you taught us to ask you again and again for the things that we want and that we need. Father God, I want to be a person like this. I want to be transformed in the deepest part of me into a person full of love and joy and peace who believes in every situation that you are in absolute control and that you are doing things that are good for me. God, I want to find where you are working and join your work so that I can have this blessing. I pray that we would all desire this and that we would all receive it in Jesus' name. Amen.